Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, November 29th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com and on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Mariam Kalea, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Lake Michigan, and my poem, Melting Time. Before we get into that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of November 30th. On Monday, November 30th, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic. And you can find out more information and register at labyrinthamsterdam.nl. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl. From 7 p.m. Eastern time, Politics and Poetry will be hosting their political discussion and open mic. You can find out more information about the event at politics and poetry underscore. Again, that's at politics and poetry underscore on Instagram. From 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 8 to 11 p.m. Mountain Time, Barbed Wire Open Mic Series will be hosting their weekly open mic, and you can find out more information and register at bwoms.com. That's B-W-O-M-S dot com. Again, that's B-W-O-M-S dot com. On Tuesday, December 1st, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, St. Louis Park Friends of the Arts will be hosting their stay-at-home open mic poetry jam. You can find out more information and register at slpfota.org forward slash events. Again, that's slpfota.org forward slash events. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their Creatively Undistanced Open Mic. You can find out more information and register at Major Muse, that's M-A-J-O-R-M-U-Z-E, on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse, M-A-J-O-R-M-U-Z-E, on Instagram. On Wednesday, December 2nd, from 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their online open mic. And you can find out more information and register on either Instagram or Facebook. 
at Sidewalk Beirut. On Instagram, that's Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's on Instagram or Facebook at Sidewalk Beirut. On Friday, December 4th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop, and you can find out more information and register at Poetry LGBT either on Instagram or Facebook. From 7.30 to 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, Philip Wexner will be hosting his Words Out Loud open mic, this time featuring Susanna H. Case and Martha Addie Young. This will be taking place via Zoom, and the Zoom ID is 876-4770-1054. Again, that's 876-4770-1054. On Saturday, December 5th, from 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Lip Bomb, hosted by Mark Vincent, Larissa Shimelo, and Jonathan Penton, will be hosting their interactive live stream reading series, this time featuring Anthony Madrid, Dara Weir, Johannes Gorenson, and Timothy Liu. You can find out more information and register at lipbomb.org. That's L-I-T-B-A-L-M dot org. Again, that's L-I-T-B-A-L-M dot org. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Sunday, December 6th, from 5 to 7 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information and register at Poetry LGBT, either on Instagram or Facebook. At 6 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their monthly writer's workshop. You can find out more information by going to parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. Paris Lit Up is spelled P-A-R-I-S-L-I-T-U-P. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan Poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Miriam Kalea. Hi, Miriam. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Imogen. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So you brought with you the poem Lake Michigan. Before we dive into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a, a bilingual poet. I live in Malta. I write in Maltese and English. They are both my native tongue. I published two poetry collections. The first one was called Pomegranate Heart. Mm-hmm. And that has poetry in English and Maltese. And my second book, it's called Inside Skin. And it was published in collaboration with a photographer. Oh. Inside is the poetry part and skin is the photography part. It's oh. two books. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah. 
mostly I, I really like to, to collaborate with other artists, so also with photographers, dancers, musicians, film producers, etc. Um, I've, I've also been translated into several languages. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I'm on my third collection, which is where Lake Michigan is from. The third collection is going to be called Stranger Intimacy. And I'm working on some kind of book launch. We'll see. We'll see what happens because, yeah. because of the pandemic. But we're planning an online book launch in any case. That's uh, wonderful. Um, and this, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And actually, this this summer was was meant to be quite a big one for for my poetry because I'm invited to um, two festivals, one in Malta and one in Munich. Mm -hmm. So I'm. I will have a residency in, in Munich in September and October, and I will be the special guest at Shamrock Festival at the end of that time. I'll be work, working on a project with a German poet called Karin Fellner. Mm. And the festival in Malta is the uh, Malta Mediterranean Literature Fest Festival. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, based on, uh, obviously, it's the, you know, poets and authors living in the Mediterranean. But before the festival, all the authors meet and we translate each other's work so that's quite exciting and we'll see what form it's going to take because of the pandemic again so everything is a little bit up in the air right so right. that's me okay wonderful so now that as you mentioned we have this uh, wonderful pandemic going on are you still going to germany are you still going to go to munich for your residency well, um, the plan is to go. I'm still officially invited and the municipality of Munich and the owner of the residency would still like me to go when I bought my ticket. So, mm -hmm. so we'll see what happens until then. Even though I thought for the last three months that it wouldn't happen, the plan is for it to happen at the moment. Right. Obviously, we can't, we can't know what's going to happen, but I think we'll try to work in some sort of way for me to have the residency and right. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what everyone else is doing to be honest if they have an, a residency if they are uh, you know a, because it is aimed at creating something for the festival at the end of October right. and the Shamrock Festival is going to be happening in a sort of hybrid manner mm -hmm. it's going to be happening regardless of whether we have to do it online or live right the work needs to be done before that, so right. we cannot exactly postpone. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. Right, right. Yeah, I think one of the, if you call, can call it, advantages of uh, the pandemic or actually the associated shutdown is that people have been, when they have gone online, they have been able to reach a wider circle of uh, poets, you know, uh, or people who are interested in poetry, so maybe having a virtual launch. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I give creative writing workshops, and I miss having the face-to-face -face right. factor. However, having said that, it has opened up workshops to an international audience, mm -hmm. and to people who just prefer to be in the comfort of their home. Maybe they are just more comfortable that way and have been encouraged right. with this extra time to to actually go after their their interest yeah yeah there's definitely that and i 
hear from uh, some of my friends who have disabilities that one of the side effects is that some of the aids that they've been asking for have been inadvertently granted to them because now they, they can, you know, participate in ways that they weren't able to before in physical events. That's right. Um, I, I mean, the accessibility, obviously, it, it's about time that everyone has access to, you know, conferences, online events, can attend workshops, etc., etc., even lectures at the university. And I think the truth is the facilities were there and they just weren't, you know, putting them in place properly. And and now how everyone should and will have access to to these events. I mean, even living on an island, I cannot, for example, I cannot always afford to go to festivals. Right. So accessibility to all. And, right. And, and also by being... All means, you know, if you, can't, if you cannot get out and or, or, you know, if you're maybe ill and you're in pain or you're, you have a disability, and this is great. And I hope it will not revert back to, to what we were, were experiencing before where not everybody was able to, to attend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think also being poets, which is not the most lucrative of careers, you know, it, it also helps to have the online option to quote unquote meet with people from all the poet world without having to spend money to, to actually go to those places. So I just want to ask your third collection that's coming out. So I'm assuming that's all English poetry then. Yes, this third collection is all in English. Okay, okay. And and was that was that in an effort to reach an, a wider audience, or is it because you have a wider audience now that you're doing exclusively English language poetry with this collection? Well, it's a bit of both. I do tend to write more in English. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of, you know, an international following, and it's it's very important to me that there is access to to, to my poetry. I still do write in Maltese mm. every now and then, and I still, um, you know, I, I might have a commission every now and then to write in Maltese. Mm-hmm. So I haven't abandoned <laughs> the language, but I do tend to write more in English anyway. Mm. Okay. Just want to confirm. So Malta is one of those countries where it's in proximity to many different European countries. And because of its smaller size, are multi-citizens kind of required to be multilingual? I wouldn't say required, but they're just both officially our languages. Okay. So most people will, will know both Maltese and English, and we're taught Maltese and English from the very start of school. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you. So they're both official languages. Right, right, right. Because we were a colony of, of the UK, too. That's right, yes. Back to your poetry. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about how and when you got into poetry? I don't quite know how, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember particularly enjoying uh, poetry in school. Mm-hmm when we were 12 and we were doing some classics. I, I used to do really well in English literature, but I didn't have a keen interest in poetry in particular. Mm. 
I remember using poetry to deal with certain emotions when I was growing up. Mm. So I remember writing poetry in a sort of, you know, hidden kind of journal, journaling mm. way. <laughs> and I was writing regularly, but I did not show my poetry to anybody for a very long time. Mm. Later in my 20s, I was showing my poetry to maybe, you know, a, a best friend or a boyfriend and they would say, oh, this is good, you know, but I didn't really do anything with my writing. I just, I, I used to, I kept all my, all my poetry and eventually I plucked up the courage to, to ask a friend of mine who was a photographer to, to collaborate with me and we had, mm. we had a little exhibition and that was the first time. My coach was on show. Obviously, I wanted to die. <laughs> and I wanted to remove. I wanted to remove the poems immediately. But after that, because quite a lot of people saw saw some you know, a small selection of my poetry, I mm-hmm. I was really encouraged to to start sharing more. And I mm. I published the first collection, and there are ninety nine poems in that collection because I had been writing. Wow for, you know, 15 to 20 years before I published anything. Nice. Yeah, and after that, I kind of didn't look back. I just, I, I you know, I kept always uh, trying to practice, to, to, to develop a, a good writing practice, to read other poets, mm. to attend workshops and, and so on. So once I, I got a little bit of validation, I, I, I knew what was something I wanted to do more seriously and when I, I was working full time I realized you know I was working Monday to Saturday mm-hmm. I realized I wanted to dedicate more time to to the writing so I actually changed job and mm. changed a little bit the pathway of my career so that I could accommodate some writing and some you know other sort of artistic work mm-hmm. because of just made me feel so so fulfilled and I wasn't very happy not doing it right right well you are a scientist right in your other life is that correct that's right yes right I'm still a scientist <laughs> <laughs> I still I, I actually I actually write and write even as a scientist so okay. I'm trying to merge my worlds in, in, in any way I can yeah, yeah. I, I think some of your writing definitely show that. I don't know if Lake Michigan is one of them, but if you don't mind reading that for us, then we can talk about it. Okay. Lake Michigan. In the vast stretches of your reach, poetry feels indulgent. I prefer to rock gently to sleep, forget about speaking my truth. You open up to cradle me. I can't see where land begins again, and as you lull me into a false sense of security, I swallow you in gulps. I scream, but it's a gargle. Your elbows are strange, but you lock me in them, and I stay. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about the poem, like when you wrote it? So I I was actually at Lake Michigan when I wrote this. I Mm. was in... Chicago last summer on mm-hmm. my honeymoon. Oh, okay. 
I was working, I, I was aware that I was working on the collection, which I already felt had a theme, and the theme was moments with, with strangers, so moments just before you get to know somebody, because we were traveling for a while and we were meeting quite a lot of people and we also spent three days on a, on a train, mm-hmm. on, a, on a sleeper train. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot about kind of single serving friends, you know, for the people you get to know a little bit and then perhaps never see again. Mm-hmm. And when I was next to Lake Michigan, it was the first time I was seeing such a large body of water that wasn't the sea. Mm. And I couldn't see the end of that, so I kept reminding myself, this is a lake, mm-hmm. this is a lake, this is not sea, this, this, there is something at the, the end of this body of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, because I live on an island and the sea is something that I feel that I need to be close to, mm-hmm. because I'm so used to it, mm-hmm. being in the US, made me seek the water out. So even though we were mostly on the, on the coast mm-hmm. and we were always quite close to the sea, being next to the lake had this mixture of familiarity and uh, at the same time a deep strangeness because it's, it was a lake and it had a very different feeling mm-hmm. to the Mediterranean. Right. And so it kind of, it kind of felt like another one of these new friends that I will spend a little time with and then not see again. So it had equal parts kind of attraction. So Mm -hmm. the attraction that I have to the sea because I live on an island Mm -hmm. and fear. Mm. So the fear of fear of the unknown, fear of the power of water, of um, what could be hidden underneath. Yeah. It made me think of people that you don't know mm-hmm. where you have you might have an equal equal amount of curiosity and fear in the way that sometimes you get to know somebody and they have a dark secret or they have <laughs> yeah. a strange effect on you mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely i share the same sort of like uh, curiosity and and fear about uh, certainly water, especially something like a lake, right? Because some are, are extremely deep, and water, I think, is one of the areas of science that's uh, underexplored. I think I, I forget if I read this correctly. Please, if you know this, correct me. Um, I think we explore more of space than we do of our own oceans, or at least. Uh, I don't know about lakes. Um, yes. Yes, I have, I have read that. Yeah. Definitely. So it, it's interesting. Which is very curious. Yeah, yeah. But I, I find that we do that, just as you said, you know, there's a similar similarity with people as well. Sometimes, especially for me as an American, because it's such a large country, Sometimes we explore more of other countries than we do of our own culture. Uh-huh. And even though technically America is one of those that's even from the very beginning has been a very multicultural, it's taken 
in people. Uh, it's included or, well, not included in the good sense, but it's taken in people from all over the world. And it has contained people from all over the world. But it's still, we, we tend not to appreciate some of the diversity that we have. And instead, we go out uh, to reach, you know, I, I like it going out to explore other cultures because America has its own culture. But at the same time, it's kind of strange, this curiosity for the outside, but not for our own history. Yeah, especially especially in the U.S. Yeah. There's so much to access. Yeah, yeah. And there's also, it also creates this misunderstanding, right? Similar to the space exploration as opposed to like oceanography or exploration of our own bodies of water on Earth is that we don't realize, or Americans, maybe even because Americans do not appreciate and explore enough the depth of our own history in terms of indigenous nations that's been here for tens of thousands of years. We tend to look elsewhere, especially in Europe, for our history, quote unquote, our history, that seems to have been around for so long and in a sense, it has been around for so long, but we also have this history. We're just not as aware of it. That's so, right. Yeah, so I think, I think it's really interesting that you are linking, not so explicitly in your poem, but in the way that you came to write this poem, Lake Michigan itself, the water, the body of water, and your experiences on your honeymoon while traveling through the U.S., as I said, it's not it's not as apparent the the backstory that you just told us about Lake Michigan. What? How did you decide to? And I guess why also did you decide to keep it in terms of just the language more about the water itself and less about the relationship between the lake and the people you were meeting? I think I purposely wanted this poem to be in a way misleading mm. because because it's just it, I'm talking about something I don't understand myself so mm. the feeling of sitting at the edge of the lake was so so mixed you know so mm. kind of had the the serenity of being next to the water mm -hmm. um, is the full sense of security mm -hmm. and because it looked so calm on that day you know it's it's, it's I, it, in a way more deceiving than it might be on other days when perhaps the weather isn't so good etc so sitting at the edge of it the full, full sense of security was even more enticing so so i almost wanted wanted to go in but I obviously, you know, I, I didn't. I wasn't sure what kind of con conditions there are because I'm not, I'm not, a, not at all familiar with with lakes. Mm. So to me, it was an even stranger kind of, um, well, not an organism, but a, but a, you know, a strange thing that mm -hmm. is sitting there that's very inviting, um, very kind of maybe 
you know, I, I, I like to think of water as, as delicious in a, in a way, even though it's, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to eat it, but, mm-hmm. but the feeling of getting into the water when it's a, when it's a nice day and, and the water is calm, it's sort of uh, so enticing, like eating an ice cream or something, like, something mm-hmm. of the sort. Mm-hmm. But in this case, getting into it, I, I didn't know what, what could happen. Mm. what would happen if if I actually went in so mm-hmm. so the the lake felt very very much like a stranger mm-hmm. but a stranger I was attracted to mm-hmm. a stranger I want to to enter so to speak you know mm-hmm. I wanted to to get to know the right. lake right. but at the same time I knew that something dangerous or bad might happen right right and and it's it's definitely in the language that you use especially the second half because the first half feels more on the positive aspects of it the yeah um, yeah and then the second half you talk about i swallow you in gulps i scream but it's a gargle your elbows are strange but you lock me in them and i stay it almost feels like a watery tomb in some ways so yeah, I guess from what you just told me that these are more imagined lines or imaginary scenarios than what you actually experienced. Yes, and I remember very clearly sitting on the on the edge of the lake, and there seemed to be kind of almost a path of stepping stone mm-hmm. where I, that I could follow to go in, mm-hmm. and. In the beginning of, of the of the poem, I'm kind of almost flirting with the idea of going in, mm-hmm. and the lake is inviting me in. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second half, I start to imagine what would happen if I went in, mm-hmm. or what could happen. Right. And it's the same sort of parallel, a stranger or um, maybe a, an abusive relationship or. Mm getting into a situation where there's no easy way out mm-hmm. had that, that kind of feeling in the in the second half if I were to go in right if I were to get to know the water or the stranger or take a next step right right and again it's it's very interesting right because the way we well I, I think any any living being, experiences life is that negative experiences have so much more effect on us than positive ones Uh so that fear is something that is very exploitable which which we actually see in the politics of all around the globe actually especially over the last 10 years there's been a lot of playing on fears of people towards strangers uh-huh. to keep towards things we don't understand yeah yeah exactly uh, to, that keeps us from getting to know them and maybe making some amazing friends for instance or having this beautiful maybe swim in lake michigan because uh-huh. you know yeah. uh, it's also reasonable to have fear because you never know you don't know and when you're talking about you know probability of events it's a combination of what's probable and how devastating is the effect 
or how large is the effect? And that's the complete measurement of probability of something. And I think a lot of times when we are taking risks, we are taking blind risks, we're not necessarily considering the, the devastation, the, the large negative or even positive effects of something might have in our lives. And so as, as somebody who's in science, I don't know how in some ways you square, not so much square because obviously you can't separate the scientific mind from the artistic mind. How do you combine those knowledges in your writing? I don't think it's a, a conscious effort or, or, or whatever the opposite of effort is. Um, mm. You know, it, I, I don't really separate. I, I tend to think of myself more as a poet and a writer than a scientist. Mm -hmm. But other people do tell me that they can see that there is there is some science in my method. I think that I apply science more in the the way I practice my writing than in the individual poems because I I approach my practice in a very kind of methodical way. I try to you know, if I want to write about something and I'm curious, so there's the, the curiosity that is coming from a scientific place. Mm -hmm. And then there is the, I want to write, so that's kind of coming from from the, the, the part of me that is poet. Mm -hmm. But the way I, I approach it, I think, I'm, I'm starting to recognize that it is quite scientific because I, I will do research. Mm -hmm. So I will uh, do re research in different ways. I will listen to live music, or I will listen to podcasts, I will watch movies, I will visit art galleries or museums. So I, I tend to exercise my artistic muscle regularly, and I, I feel the need for it when it hasn't happened in a while. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that kind of workout that kind of artistic workout mm -hmm. I do in a in quite a scientific way mm -hmm. and, and even when I'm teaching my creative writing classes mm -hmm. I feel like I probably approach teaching other people how to develop a practice mm -hmm. in, a, in, in quite uh, a methodical sort of scientific way too mm -hmm. because I feel that it's not you know I like to say inspiration is bullshit <laughs> that you know we, you can get into a space mm. <laughs> pardon my French you can get yeah. into a space and you can create your inspiration or, or you know I get a lot of people who tell me you know I wait for the muse and I wait for something to inspire me and mm. I think if I were to wait mm -hmm. for something to inspire me not a lot of writing would get done <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> obviously there's an element you know I get People ask me very often, what inspires you? And if I had the formula, I'd just be in that place all the time. Right, right. So there's obviously a little bit of, there's obviously a little bit of practice and science and, and, and affinity and an interest. And the way your mind works has to be in a certain analytical way for you to want or be able to write poetry. So I think there's a little bit of a, of a scientist in every poet in a way because mm -hmm. of because of how they're analyzing the world, how they're looking at everything right. in a way that is going to be conducive to writing poetry. Right, right. 
And I feel like imagination is very much required for a field like science, which people don't realize because without creativity, without imagination, then we wouldn't know how to apply science. We wouldn't know how to formulate theories. For, of course. Yeah. So as I said before, I don't think you can really separate the scientific and the artistic mind. And you really need both. And I don't even think it's physically possible because the brain has many regions uh, that they, uh-huh. there are, I guess, quote unquote, duplicate, uh, duplicative tasks that are done in the brain in uh, various regions so that and and I guess redundancy is the word I was looking for and that it's a good thing to have that because you know and we're such a fragile species that if we were to suffer any kind of brain damage other parts of our brains could because of that redundancy kind of take over and do some of the tasks that the damaged parts cannot can no longer do. Yeah, yeah, and the, the brain, the brain is very, very elastic. It forms new pathways. It, it, you know, it adapts, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm also really interested in science, and and also from our conversation before we started the recording of things that are not known to us yet, even though they it might exist. Just maybe something that science has no language for just yet. And part of the reason why I chose the poem that I'm reading with you today is not only in terms of similarity of of subject matter, but also in terms of our writing styles of consciously or subconsciously combining scientific observation with creativity. So I'm going to read that now. And it's called Melting Time. Cycles like ripples spiral minutes hours days lost between crests rolling away in a vast body whose borders are unknown but judge by the reverberation of critters lapping venturing into shallow ends tell a shrinking tale as the sun makes its presence felt then press a body heat oppressive to drain from vulnerable facets made visible. From ascending evaporation of the magnetized core pulled as if by a warlock's hands toward inevitable annihilation. So now that we talked a little bit, you you explain your poem and the inspiration about it a little bit. This is something that I picked up that I did not when I initially this poem which is that you know you both of us kind of go from the very pleasant to the <laughs> the sort of uh, yeah. dire uh, possibilities <laughs> yes and I think we both go through through a, a, a sort of journey that I only noticed in yours as you were reading it because of where you paused mm-hmm I felt as though you were walking through something that was difficult to walk through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's, if that's what... Well, as similar to yours, I'm also trying to be coy about what I'm talking about. But the huh. title sort of give it, and also I think the last line, give the reader some clues. And I wrote this 
in many ways in reaction to the lockdown because I wrote this recently. Okay. You know, it talks about how the passage of time really and using time as a body of water that's evaporating. And because we never know exactly how much time we have, sometimes we can get a sense by indirect observation, which why I was saying in the second stanza, but judged by the reverberations of critters lapping, venturing into shallow, shallow ends, tell a shrinking tale. So we get a sense that, you know, we, we are always losing time, but we don't know how fast. But there is a certainty, which unfortunately is death. Um, so so <laughs> while your poem is more about your coming into contact with strangers who might or might not become friends, even if temporary friends, mine is more about our experience of time, especially as it is related to the lockdown and how time suddenly seems to be just leaving so fast. Yeah, this has also been my experience that time has been going so fast. Yeah. But if you had asked me a couple of months ago how it would feel, how time would feel mm-hmm. during the lockdown, mm-hmm. I would have said that it would be passing very slowly. Mm-hmm. That would have been my guess. Mm-hmm. But but I do agree with you that it, it just it feels as though we have less grasp on it than we had before, mm-hmm. and especially. For people whose day, whose routine got disrupted, right. and they they had less to do, you know, and and their their day wasn't in, divided into blocks of time mm-hmm. anymore so much. Definitely strange that time would seem to be passing, isn't, but would seem to be passing faster and would seem to be slip slipping between our fingers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel both. Yeah. The I, I I kept I think I've said this to several people I've interviewed, which is that at the same time that it feels really slow, it's also incredibly fast because it's been what I think Europe locked down a little bit before the U.S. We locked down at the end of March. You guys maybe a little a few weeks earlier, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Maybe mid March. Yeah. Despite the fact that some days, because we have no routine now to sort of tick away certain parts of our day, it just seems incredibly slow, especially for those people who are <laughs> locked in situations where they're with people that they might not want to spend so much time with. You know? <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. So it's very slow in that sense. At the same time, you know, we kind of feel like it's now summer solstice just passed and, and like what happened to those three months you know? it go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then again you're like but it's only three months so it, it's very strange yes. with in this weird at least a perceptive paradox and it goes back to both of us talking about how we observe things and even back to what you were talking about inspiration is bullshit because part of it is that we don't quite know what inspire us because we are used to using the five major senses but we are not very aware of how we as a 
living being as a totality, how the subtle ways we also experience life and whatever we encounter in life. Yeah, thinking about that, I, I found it very curious how you, so aside from the five senses, you say judged by the reverberation of critters. I found that so it's a strange observation and it's, it's unusual, mm -hmm. but I, I can understand exactly what you're saying because days are passing and the noises of nature and, and nature itself is going on, you know, all of, all of spring past. Mm -hmm. So, so I find that the, the whole stanza sort of making us notice that almost as though there is another sense, there's a sense that is outside of us that we cannot touch, you know, we can't really understand what it is, but nature is going on. Nature doesn't care whether we stopped to notice that right. or not. Yeah, <laughs> nature as the bigger thing has, has you know, like more yeah. things to, you know, uh, contend with than us because we're only a very tiny part of it. And I think, yeah. I think we are a tiny part of nature that, that makes a lot of noise. That's uh, right. And now that we've been forced to sort of stop a lot of it, we are able to pay attention to some of the other parts of nature that is somewhat imperceptible or more masked by our our own noise making, like both literally and figuratively. I mean, nature is one of those things that I miss incredibly because I, I'm more in an urban area. So it's harder to come by nature or green areas, for instance. So I, I take advantage of the fact that I can go on Instagram and look at my friend's videos of fields near her place and hear the bird sounds, songs. And I have to say, it's been incredibly calming to just hear those. And I don't, I don't know how yeah. close you are to nature. Oh, I am not at all close to nature. <laughs> I'm quite close to the sea where, where I am, but mm -hmm. not, you know, not directly from from my apartment. But mm -hmm. I can go to the sea in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But nature is quite far away, and I have my very, very small yard and the few plants that have survived, and <laughs> I go visit my plants. Every Every day now, right. something I never did. <laughs> right, right. I'm guessing it's also this calming feeling, right? Just seeing green, something about it that's just, yeah, yeah. It, it reassuring. I feel like is the word, even though I can't say why it's reassuring, but it's just so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I think you know the lockdown has made us more aware of, of what, what we need and what we need to be next to and the plants sort of are a, a, a tiny tiny hand reaching out and sort of making us aware of, of what what we need in the ways it's it's very calming to to check on them and see that they're, they're still alive and maybe they've grown a little over the past few, <laughs> few weeks because everything seems so still Mm -hmm. so constant everything seems the same that's some, something like a plant growing a little bit mm -hmm. brings 
more joy than, than it did before. Right, right. And it seems like from what you're saying that it has sharpened your observation skills. Yes, in a way. I, up to a few years ago, I, I thought that I never wrote about nature, that nature never, never featured in my poetry. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing an interview and the person had really interesting questions. And she said, you know, what, what is your connection? Nature is in so many of your poems. And it was a surprise to me, honestly. <laughs> and now I embrace it. Now I, now I realize that, that we do and can talk about nature because there's so much in, in our relationships that is close to nature and is part of nature even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now I, I don't anymore say I never write about nature because I do, in fact, write mm-hmm. a lot about bodies of water, about birds, about all, all sorts of creatures that, that enter my, my poetry without my permission almost. <laughs> because they're a part, they're a part of us and we, we, can't, we, we are not separate from, from everything else. And, and just I, didn't, I think it just was a matter of accepting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and of noticing for example there are some birds now because it's uh, 6.30 so you know evening is approaching here and mm-hmm. the birds are starting to to go back to the trees and I'm more aware of sort of time in a way because of the, the very very limited sounds that I get mm-hmm. you know not being in nature but I think this relative silence has made us aware right. more more aware of nature right right and how how much nature there is in our daily lives because we don't the way that uh we've been i I guess western culture especially and and more industrialized culture we've been taught that man-made is somehow even if it's not explicitly said but man-made is somehow separate from nature even though we are part of it yeah and and so there's always this delineation even though it's not it's more a mental delineation than anything else but i i've also noticed even if we don't invite nature in it comes in anyway like sunshine for instance or or little bugs that come into your home that you know because again we're such such a fragile species in terms of we we don't come with exoskeletons we don't come with physical armor mostly so it's very important to have shelter right um uh-huh. to to keep away both visible and invisible bugs such as the temp- pandemic yet yeah. <laughs> yes certain things cannot be kept out like you said there are still little things that are able to tell us time. You know, just birds coming home to nest at night, the way that the sun hits our window in a certain way, or the moon shining through. You know, all those things that indirectly give us a sense of time without us having to look at our phones or computers. Yeah, yeah. And we need them, you know, we- we can't help it. We sort of, uh, when I'm reading your poem, uh, as the sun makes its presence felt, we, we need that sun. We need to, we need the light. And here, when I read it, I, 
I think of strength. Mm-hmm. You know, so so even though your poem has the inevitable uh, sort of tragic ending because time <laughs> is going to run out on mm-hmm. all of us, mm-hmm. just before it runs out, kind of I get that feeling of something very strong, something perhaps fighting, mm. you know, against uh, the, the the annihilation, some, something that is is giving off, you know, heat and 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 still still has a bit of bite left in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so we. It, Without, without wanting to, there's always an ele- this element of nature, you know, because where does heat come from? So that when we think of the sun and we think of our our bodies and what makes them work, there's no separation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To me, I, I don't, I don't feel like we, at least in the physical body, but maybe not in the manifestation that we have now, how we possess our physical body, but in terms of on the atomic level, because there's the conservation of both energy and matter, right? Those principles still hold. Even if we die, we don't necessarily, we don't end. Uh To me, it's more like a phase transition. But obviously, we as sentient beings, as we are, you know, the, the individual, we, we want to, in some ways, I mean, we, we, we do like ourselves. We, we still want to keep, you know, ourselves the way in this current container as, as it is. I feel like in my poem, there is a sense of not wanting that annihilation and feeling in my poem, the son is not uh, a good character. It's, it's actually a bad guy because, you know, it, it's it's forcing faster evaporation. And the evaporation is basically the time I have. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Or the losing of the time that I have. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm fighting not necessarily in an in a active fashion, but in a, in a more passive way of... Oh, how annoying the sun is! How invasive, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Making me die quicker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and and so so. So you are using. You have been using science in this. Oh yeah. So yeah, evaporation. Yeah, there's a lot of science in this particular both science and scientific method in this poem disguised as a nature poem, but really talking about how we are losing time in some ways in not being able to, or in limited in our way of trying to achieve some of the goals that we thought we were going to try to achieve at the beginning of the year, maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we, we all have plans. Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And nature is like, ah, no, I think we're, you're going to have other plans. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how religious you are, but for me, this is as close as I come to feeling religious, you uh-huh. know, in terms of having something that's so much bigger than me, so ever-present, ever-powerful, you know, especially religion in the Christianity sense, I suppose. But that that powerfulness of a being that's outside of myself, basically taking control over my life. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if if that's something that you felt as well. 
again, I don't I don't know how religious you are. I'm not particularly religious, or, or maybe at all even. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, it does feel like you know we've been made aware of something stronger and more powerful mm-hmm. than we are. So so it, you know I, I think of my ver- version of God is kind of the whole universe. You know, mm-hmm. all of everything put together is, is right. what I think of as a higher being, as God or or, or whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's now humbling to see how we can be completely shut down mm-hmm. by something we can't even see with our eyes. Right, right. And I, I think that's why there are so many people who are just refusing, who is just like, no, 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 we need to take control over this, right? In the yeah. way that we do, especially as people who've been taught um, who've been brought up in this I feel like especially the religious religions of the book where it's human centered mm-hmm. yeah I feel like this is also a reason why people want to believe that the virus was man-made mm. I feel like it has something to do with the way they want to believe that there isn't something stronger than their god or whatever they grew up believing in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's really it really makes me think of that whenever somebody's saying, you know, I, oh, I think it must have been made in, in a lab, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't we don't know for sure mm. what happened there, but I feel like when people say that it must have been made in a lab, that they want to believe that humans are always the most powerful. Yeah, yeah, because you know we we've done so much, haven't we? We've we've made so much noise, as I said. <laughs> And we've dominated. Yeah. We we are pushing nature to its breaking point in some in some ways, or at least its breaking point in terms of our own survival or against our own survival. That we we do want this control. However, however, even if it's yeah. through some kind of conspiracy theory, yeah. we still yeah. want to be the main. Or someone agent. cruel enough to invent, you know, something that has made the world stop. Right, right. We we want we want to have this super villain that we can, that's uh, yeah, that that's visible. That's that we can put our physical hands on, you know. And that's the problem again. Going back to the beginning when we were talking about your poem, how the fear of the unknown, you know, how that really jars our sense of being, and how you know, tying into some of history, some of world history, how we have tended to choose scapegoats for larger problems by pointing to certain people, by saying, you, if we just get rid of you, then everything will be okay. (laughs) And and it it goes back to this control thing, doesn't it? It, Yes, yes. (laughs) I mean, it's very scary, let's face it, to think that, you know, we, we're so, uh, you know, taken over the planet so, so well and suddenly something we cannot control has stopped almost everything we do. Mm-hmm. Very scary thing. So, so I, I can see why people would want to blame somebody yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that part. Yeah, yeah. The fear is very understandable. 
at the same time, just given our own history, even our recent history, we know that it doesn't work. It doesn't solve any problems. In fact, it makes the problem worse, right? And of course, we're experiencing it. I mean, U.S. being the epicenter of the protests, the human rights protests, and and also that's happening all around the world because there are similar things going on. This yes. And again, it's it won't solve our problems. And I think, like, even on an individual life level, right, it, it doesn't solve our problems to, let's say, be afraid of the lake and not go into it or not make friends with strangers that you might not have spent a lot of time with. Because sometimes mm-hmm. the, the opportunity, in a way, is missed. Yeah, yeah, that might be the, the opposite of what fear is. Yeah. You know, you might get to know somebody who becomes very important to you. Yeah. I think there's an element that maybe I, I missed out on, on talking to you about, and it's the, the instinct, you know, the, the feeling we get from somebody that maybe something inside us warns us sometimes that... Mm-hmm someone would not be good news in your in your life and right. and there's that moment when you're at the lake and you have to make a decision whether you're going to carry on with that action or with that relationship and and I think it, it's very much about that moment mm. about knowing or, or trying to read an instinct or, or trying to decipher how something would go based on what we know or what we've experienced before. Hmm. Yeah, and I I agree with you because again it goes back to what you previously talked about this uh, inspiration is bullshit thing because again we don't know exactly how everything we encounter affect us in in the minute sense in the sense that are there are not immediately understandable because we have sensory organs that take in larger senses but they also involve like the the hair on our arms for instance they also help us take in sense it's part of our sense of touch yet we don't think about it because the wind touches us but we don't think of it as a touch necessarily So, so we can have a very valid, let's say, quote-unquote, instinct about someone that we just met, but we haven't used our minds to digest that information. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't yet have the vocabulary for it, so... Yeah. And, you and, know, it's like we don't, we don't have the vocabulary for time passing and how it seems to go fast or slow and, and why it does that. Right, right. So... Right. Just as a last question regarding your, since you brought this up about instinct, it feels like now that you were talking about a specific incident, and I was wondering if there was such an incident that you were thinking about when you wrote your poem. Let's say there's a fraction of it that mm-hmm. is a particular incident. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, a lot about just a general feeling of meeting a stranger mm-hmm. and there would always be I think most of my, my poems 
something from my life that is being dressed up as something else. So, so to answer your question, yes, I was thinking about something in particular, mm-hmm. and I almost, I would say, almost always do. Mm-hmm. But it is very much disguised, and the lake is taking over the experience mm. with its power to to make me think of a bigger picture. Mm. The experience is there, but it's it's uh, on the back burner. Right, right, right. And sometimes we have such strong, especially negative experiences, that it reverberates whether or not we are consciously thinking about it. Yeah. So, in closing, I would love for you to tell us how people can follow you via social media or your website and whatnot. My website is miriamkaleja dot com. Mm-hmm. So that's M I R I A M C A L L E J A. Mm-hmm. I'm more active perhaps on Twitter and Facebook. So again, just Miriam Kalea or my Facebook is uh, Pomegranate Heart after mm-hmm. my first book. Yeah. That's it, I think. Okay. okay, great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today about both of our poems and, and just life in general. <laughs> life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It was, you know, always very interesting to talk about poetry, and and more interesting to see where it takes the conversation. So this was, this has given me a lot of food for thought. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Me too. Thank you. For those who do not know, and this includes myself, Malta is located between Sicily and Tunisia, closer to the Italian side, in the Mediterranean Sea. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.